We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best running backs to stash for the fantasy playoffs. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. I'm Stan Siegel's newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Wow, his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we were talking just before the show. We teased this idea on the last show, and, and you and I knew we were doing it. And you're up your great zero RB playbook. Broke down a bunch of the names. I had thrown some names together that I thought would be interesting to discuss. Perhaps unsurprisingly to anyone who has followed you ever, uh, a lot of your names are players that, I mean, I'll just say I wouldn't have expected to see. I was kind of giving you some crap about a couple of them, like Pierre Strong, because he has he's been active and not really playing snaps in the couple of weeks they've activated, like Kevin Harris and JJ Taylor. Those guys have actually played over him. But you got a lot of these really deep names. And it was funny, we're kind of talking back and forth about how to approach this because there are different league sizes for our listeners. There are players that, as we were discussing, I expected were actually rostered in a lot more leagues that when I went over to one of my ESPN leagues, I noticed are not rostered in a lot of leagues. So we, you, just you and I are not completely on the same page about who the players are even available in, in, you know, in different league sizes and who should even be discussed and how to classify them. You have a couple of different groups of you know, sort of big names that are maybe acquirable in dynasty trades or things like that. Guys that are probably rostered in most even casual seasonal leagues. Some stashes, which are sort of the handcuffs. Some deeper names, which is where we found Pierre Strong listed with some, some other guys. Long-time listeners won't be surprised to hear that Ty Chandler also on that list. And then there's a bunch of the names that I wrote down that are not on your list that I, I was thinking more in terms of like stashes, guys that if you know an injury happens ahead of them and the playing time opens up, might things might break correctly for them. Guys, the way that I was trying to think of it was guys that are available in like almost every league type, even maybe in some of the high-stakes stuff, which we often talk about. And you made a great point to me that we're maybe too focused on preparing for the playoffs with the playoffs over at FFPC being two weeks away, but almost every other fantasy league being four weeks away still. And there are people who are likely going to be in the playoffs and already looking ahead four weeks to those playoff weeks. And they want to know which running backs to stash. But every year we talk, Sean, you know, we want to be receiver heavy at draft season about this time in the year. Part of the reason you want to be receiver heavy is when they miss and they bust and things, it's hard to find fill-ins at the receiver position, particularly in deeper leagues. It feels like it's easier than it is, but a lot of times what happens is when we have these busts, we have these injuries, we have guys like Rashad Bateman all of a sudden is out for the year. 
our roster just starts shifting towards the running back depth. It it just becomes thinner at receiver. We might have started with eight receivers. We might be down to six. Maybe we've added one along the way or something. But uh, those extra spots then shift over to running back where we're starting to build. We're through the buys. We don't need as much depth at the other positions. Maybe we don't have a backup quarterback anymore because we can, you know maybe carried one through the buy for our starter but don't need a, a backup after the buy for our starter. We're positioning our bench at this point pretty running back heavy knowing that's the position where you can get not only uh an unexpectedly high score out of nowhere but an unexpectedly high score out of nowhere that you know to start because that i mean that's what we always talk about with zero rb somebody gets hurt and then it's clear right that this guy is the next guy up he's going to play and we might want him in our lineup and so you want more bullets in the chamber you want to build your bench that way i'm getting a ton of questions right now who are the guys and a lot of commentary about how this year it's a lot thinner on the waiver wire. It's not clear who the guys are, but who are the guys? Can we rank those guys? All of those types of things. So we're going to try to unpack that question as much as we can on this show. But we, we, in our pre-show, we're already talking like it's not going to be possible to do in an hour. We're going to do the best that we can. Yeah, the the mix is always interesting. Your league is going to determine a lot of these things, but we wanted to make sure we gave a variety of types of backs that you could look at and some you know are too deep to be rostered really in any size league right now but you want to have that on your radar what i did when i went through this exercise for myself is to kind of go team by team division by division think through what the depth charts were like and what the offenses are like because you might go to the third or fourth guy in a high-powered offense because if things break the right way, that player is going to be very valuable to you. Whereas the backup in a low powered offense or a guy who is not talented enough, those guys are not going to be league winners in the vast majority of cases. So even though they're closer to volume, they're less relevant for your fantasy team because one way or another, you need to get guys into the starting line that are going to score points. And so one of the questions that I do get when I put together this zero RB countdown at the beginning of the year and then how do we play that as we evolve throughout the course of the year is how did you get to these names how do you know ahead of time that these players are going to score such big points when it matters obviously i don't and obviously part of it is that you're building that depth into your roster like you just mentioned ben and so you have some different opportunities when those situations arise you're prepared for it you can move that guy in but part of it is this combination of trying to understand the offenses and what they will allow for the running backs, and then also to understand who the big-time talents or the potential big-time talents, because a lot of these guys, if they are buried on their team's depth charts and if they're available in fantasy, both of those things kind of point in the direction of the actual NFL team isn't sure about them yet. They haven't been able to go out there and prove on an NFL field that they can do it in the way that the starter has them. That's why he's the starter. That's why he's rostered everywhere. But you're looking at what some of these guys have done in the past, what their profiles are, and if things broke the right way, do we have evidence in a variety of different ways that this guy could become the next sensation, the next big breakout player, the guy who scores a lot of points in the fantasy playoffs, one of the things that we talked about a little bit at the very end of the last show is that we're through 10 weeks, 
But in reality football, you're going to have weeks 11 through 18 still here. And as a result of that, a lot of the NFL teams are still pointing toward later in the season. And then they'll be pointing toward the reality playoffs. You have a lot that is going to still happen. So just because something hasn't happened in the first 10 weeks doesn't at all mean that it can't happen in the second half. So I think it's an interesting exercise, interesting thought process to kind of go through and find the offenses that you think will work. And there are going to be different levels of that. You have, you know, five to eight offenses that you really like the running backs in those situations. And then on the other end of it, you know, you maybe have seven to 10 offenses where if the starter goes down, you know, they're basically not going to pick up any first downs and the backfield will probably be split. I'm not bothering to roster too many guys in that circumstance, even if they're closer to playing than some of the people I am interested in, simply because it's harder for me to see. And again, we make mistakes and you don't get everybody. And sometimes you're thinking through this sort of rubric for how you want to value the players and how you want to prioritize them for yourself and you're wrong so it's not like we're going to be completely right but working through that and trying to understand where the upside would come in i think that's the fun part of the exercise and then also what we want to capitalize on as we go make moves for our actual fantasy rosters yeah i love the way you put that in terms of i mean other than you saying we make mistakes because i don't think they're mistakes this is the hardest question in fantasy i think almost every year harder i think than draft day decisions is who are the running backs at this point that we want to stash it's all about thinking really probabilistically, but in, on the tail outcomes, right? In these very small probability scenarios that we're not going to capture perfectly. I, I made a mistake, if you will, very recently when I wasn't as excited after the CMC trade about the Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard split and how things would work out because Carolina had been so bad offensively for most of the year. I don't think that's like a massive mistake. I mean, I, I think as you were talking through it, you said we're trying to make decisions that you know, we'll work out most of the time, if you will. Foreman and Hubbard are backs that we like from a talent perspective. Foreman, long time ago, was a great prospect, tore the Achilles, came back and has looked fine after getting multiple years removed from that Achilles. Hubbard, a back that you were really excited on as a prospect coming out last year and has looked good as well at times. And so I know from a talent perspective, you had a little bit of a different opinion than I did in terms of what those guys could do. And obviously then with Hubbard having the injury on it, in addition to, to CMC's trait, you get, and that's often what opens these situations up. You get multiple things happening in the backfield, and then it, it all consolidates for Foreman for a stretch, which it has. And he's been fantastic. He's a very good player. But that's a guy that, I mean, I wasn't like completely out on, but I was not very excited about. The flip side of that would be an example like Atlanta that I want to talk a little bit about as we get going, where Cordero Patterson missed a bunch of time. Tyler Algier has led that backfield and has been okay at times, but not great. The other name in that backfield, Caleb Huntley, that's been involved, has been rushing really effectively. And I have some teams where we were in some tough running back spots and and I have some co-managers that were a little bit excited about Huntley. We added him and are still even now kind of wanting to play him because we know that we'll get something out of it. He's the perfect example of a back that even when you're right and he was successful as a rusher and he's been successful you're not getting anything in fantasy scoring. His very first game, he rushed for like 50 yards and a TD and got like 11 points. He's not scored double-digit PPR points since then. He has not caught a pass this season. All rushing. There's no more. There hasn't been any more touchdowns. Patterson's back, and he's still involved, Huntley. 
But it's a great example of that. You know, we talk about the high value touches, the receptions and the goal line work. Not enough in that offense. Atlanta doesn't generate enough scoring opportunities. And he's a guy who's not catching enough passes in his own role. And there are other backs that, I mean, there's even widely rostered backs like Brian Robinson, who's been okay, but he's a perfect example of a trap back to me where he can't catch enough balls in his role. They're probably not going to score a ton of touchdowns. He had this game against the Eagles where he got 26 carries. He ends up rushing for 80 yards, gets a TD, catches a couple passes, has a nice game overall, but that's like, he looks sort of like his ceiling. I mean, there's definitely a little bit more ceiling if he has a multiple touchdown game, but a pretty good example of a trap back. And actually I said that when he did not catch any passes this week, he caught two passes the week prior, but he had 14.6 points on 86 rushing yards and a TD. He's also been an inefficient rusher, which was something we thought about the player. You talked about talent. And, and, and for me is another reason why I haven't been super in on Brian Robinson. We haven't seen anything yet. He hasn't had a single game where he's averaged more than four yards a carry. It takes 26 carries in a run heavy matchup against an Eagles team that teams want to run on right now to get to 86 yards on without a reception. You, you have to get a touchdown just to get to this 14.6 point playable week with the roster spots. You can make available for these types of running back stashes. You want options that if they do hit, have the potential to make a pretty big impact on your scoring, not just 15 points. Now Robinson wasn't really a stash necessarily. I mean, he was early on in the year, I guess, but um, always kind of was expected to have a solid role and isn't, in the same class as some of these backs. But the point I'm, I'm making is the types of ways the backs might get used is really relevant. But Sean, when we hit on these types of players, it is one of the coolest things in fantasy, again, because it is so difficult to do and takes a lot of like faith and a lot of trust, I guess. I, I don't know how to put that, but uh, I still remember in 2020, my highest finish in the FFPC main event, finishing 19th overall. That's the year for people who are listeners of our ship chasing uh, program with Pat and Pete. And we, we had our buddy Mike Leone on that year. They were all giving me a bunch of crap about not carrying two kickers into the shootout. And this roster wasn't very strong. The last player I added on that team to get rid of the second kicker and to not have any backup in case your kicker gets hurt, you end up having to take zero points because you can't make any moves. It's a three-week sprint. And really, it's five weeks from when you have to make that decision until the end of the fantasy playoffs in terms of your kicker could get hurt in weeks like you know 13 or 14 this year, and, and then you'd be screwed 15, 16, and 17. But we went one kicker. The last running back we had was Jeff Wilson that year. He was buried, like you said, sometimes the third or fourth running back, buried on a good Niners team, had been good when he had played, had shown some ceiling. Not a lot of people had Jeff Wilson in that shootout. He ends up getting a chance to start. We started him in the final week, which back then in 2020 was week 16. The final week of that shootout, he had a 27-point game or something. There were other running backs we had added that didn't hit, and so I think you can make the case we maybe still should have carried two kickers, what have you, but it was maximizing the bench for as many running back bullets in the chamber as we could have that had real upside. And, and Jeff Wilson was one that, again, I'm telling this story because I personally remember that I, I didn't hear anyone else talking about Jeff Wilson, and I was looking at it like, I think Jeff Wilson might be that guy that has a shot at it. And it happened to be right. And I was pretty excited about that last year. I have another, I mean, I'm just going to sit here and talk about all the ones I've gotten right. But um, Justin Jackson was a guy that I was saying in every league was a great one to add around this time. And he ended up having one really strong game in the fantasy playoffs. Sean, but now that I've done all my bragging, what I should really be talking about is the fact that you are 
the man at this. I mean, we all know you as a zero RB guy. You always seem to hit on these. I was giving you crap about Pierre Strong and Todd Chandler before the show, but I said to you kind of jokingly, but also half serious that I assume these guys are just going to have great weeks in the fantasy playoffs now this year. I don't know how it's going to happen. I was talking about the Pierre Strong thing in the beginning of the, of the show, actually. I don't know how Pierre Strong winds up playing because I think he needs injuries to both starting backs, and then he still has to beat out Kevin Harris and J.J. Taylor, who he's played behind. But it's still going to probably happen because you always seem to hit these. you want to kick us off with some of the 2022 names to, to be paying attention to? Well, since we're talking about Pierre Strong, even though he is not one of the names, and this is not going to hit, <laughs> so we don't – we don't need to be promoting that as something that will happen. But I think it is interesting to note, and the injuries and how they occur, you talk about Jeff Wilson and where he was at this point. It can be difficult to think about these injuries and how random they will be, and that you'll have a team stay completely healthy all year long when you really want to see maybe a backup, which arguably is the situation right now in Kansas City. You know, any of those three guys getting dinged up and at least the Chiefs will maybe give a couple carries to Ronald Jones. Maybe he breaks the play. You get to see it. On the other hand, you have teams and it seems like certain franchises. And again, this is how the, the randomness works, but we'll be a little bit snake bitten. And you have all of those injuries across multiple seasons for the 49ers that continue to unlock guys who didn't seem like they were going to be relevant. And when you look at the Patriots this season, they are a team that just really is so successful running the ball. They're number seven in rushing EP per game this year after being number three last year. I think it's a, a good situation, even though there are some overall limitations to the Patriots offense. We also have this situation with the Patriots where these young guys tend to get more opportunities, like all teams, but I think a little bit heavier even with the Patriots, where you're getting more opportunities later on in the season you got to prove that you can handle some of these things the thing you were joking with me about is that pierre strong is mostly just there for the special teams but this guy is a college workhorse he is the back that they drafted he's got the 437 speed and so if you had something happen to Romandre stevens and we definitely don't want it to i mean he's been one of the great stories of this year we want those great stories that you know you could argue outside of the first couple of rounds have been few and far between we want those to continue to play out but if anything should happen there, Damian Harris has struggled with multiple little things. I mean, he would be the guy who would probably fill in or would obviously fill in unless something does happen to him. But this is an offense where if you get to be the guy, they're going to create value for you. And Strong has both that background of handling a lot of touches and he's got the speed to make any individual touch a potential 60 or 70 yard touchdown run. That doesn't mean that those are going to happen consistently or they would even happen during the stretch of these there. But one of the things that was kind of the theme of our previous show is how the backs who have that <laughs> sort of in their quiver or, or whatnot, those things will come out from time to time and they are a big deal. That's also something that can help him potentially get that job if it does get up for grabs during the fantasy playoffs i mean right now when you're talking about weeks 15 16 17 there's still a, a pretty significant gap of time between now and then a lot can happen players can get dinged up that would be kind of the way to think about it the other name that we kind of were joking about there would be ty chandler now we know that madison has played well this year he's been clearly the guy chandler we haven't seen anything from because he's been on ir He's eligible to come off, I believe, whether or not that actually happens. 
maybe a different story. So you'd want to track the news there. But someone who, again, has this athletic profile that within the context of a Vikings offense that looks like it will now be dynamic, that if you're going to be looking at guys who are third or fourth on the depth chart and thinking through it, what happened in the case of multiple injuries, he's someone I think is so interesting because the upside is extreme. When you have an elite athlete in a dynamic offense and you have, again, multiple weeks between now and when it would really matter for you, that becomes pretty interesting. And so those two would be, I think, great examples of players that could fit the types of stuff that we're looking for, but really are only applicable to the deepest of leagues and even still are are, are kind of differentiation pieces in, in deep leagues. But I love the way that you've been talking about third, fourth back. I mean, I mentioned Justin Jackson. I, I always think back to the year both him and uh, Damian Williams for the Chiefs had big runs in the postseason that year. The Chiefs and the Chargers were good offenses that were producing for the backs. So Philip Rivers was still the quarterback there thrown to the backs a ton. For the Chargers, it required both Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler to miss time. And then Justin Jackson got playing a little bit and, and had a nice little run. He was a rookie that year, a very late round rookie, kind of similar to where Ty Chandler is positioned right now, I would argue. Uh, for Damian Williams, it was also, I believe, multiple injuries ahead of him. I can't remember who Spencer Ware or some of these guys uh, that opened up Damian Williams really strong late season push with the Chiefs. His first year that he you know did all and ended up doing a lot into the postseason as well that year. But it, it can definitely come from those depth spots at the same time. Strong Chandler. I mean, Chandler's intriguing to me. I was kind of joking about strong and, and it always matters to me when you're this optimistic about a prospect because I think you're very, very good at that. But just the way strong has been used. He's been active a lot more than those other backs. I mentioned Kevin Harris and JJ Taylor has only played 10 snaps all season on offense. Those guys, Taylor and Harris have both been active for one game apiece and played more than 10 snaps, both of the times they were active. So it seems to, to me from a usage guy standpoint that those other two backs when active are, have been ahead of strong so far, but there are, I mean, that, that, that is what we're looking for. That type of player in an offense that can produce points. There are a lot of other situations that are a little bit more straightforward. There's a lot of players we've talked about before. We probably don't need to spend a ton of time on, but like Samaj P. Ryan, I was looking at some more casual leagues still available in a lot of leagues, uh, basically everywhere. And his situation, I got asked recently from one of my subscribers over at Stealing Signals about cutting him. I don't think the situation has changed. In fact, it's probably gotten better because Chris Evans basically hasn't played all season. We've gotten more and more evidence, I think, that P. Ryan is the number two. Like, they're not even mixing that around. Evans had the one catch a couple weeks ago where he had, like, a little bit of a vertical design play, kind of a vertical route. But playing very, very few snaps overall all season has pretty much solidified the thesis for Piran as a handcuff if Mixon were to go down in my mind. So I would still be very as excited about him as I was all year in terms of what the ceiling could be if Mixon were to suffer an unfortunate injury. Zamir White's another one, very low-owned. We've talked about before, Sean. Um, I'll let you talk about him because he's somebody that, that you mentioned uh, to me as well as being still pretty interesting. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. He is, and the way that they've used Josh Jacobs makes him more interesting. I do think that if you had an injury to Jacobs, and we did see Amir Abdullah get a little bit more involved this last week, that probably Josh McDaniels goes back in the direction of the way that he has coached with the Patriots, at least the Patriots of recent vintage, where you have these sort of split backfields. So you can't necessarily expect the backups to take all of the work. These clear handcuff types of situations are a little bit different than the committee situations because we talk about the committee situations and you have two guys with standalone value. One of them gets hurt and suddenly the value for the other guy is actually much greater than either of the two were to start with. In a handcuff situation, you can get a... A scenario where P Ryan goes in, but then does start to lose some of the key touches to Evans at moments that matter. Some of the high value touches you get down to the end of the season, and maybe they have evolved. And now P Ryan isn't the guy that you want. But in terms of talking about why he's always sort of the first name that jumps up to us, Joe Mixon is number two in EP behind Austin Eckler. He has a five touchdown game and he's still barely in the negative in fantasy points over expectation. P Ryan can come in and do the types of things that Mixon does in an offense that ideally is going to revolve around the receivers, especially if chase is able to come back. There's still a ton of uncertainty there. People claiming that he might be available for the following week, even though he's still on crutches. But within that, you're still going to have games where the Bengals running back is delivered inside the three yard line repeatedly. And so you talk about 15, 16, 17, how do you win your fantasy semifinals? How do you win your fantasy finals? If you're in big tournaments, how do you win the whole thing? And one of the notes from last season, I think is relevant to guys like P Ryan is that you see the impact of Penny and Michelle more in best ball because Fantasy managers weren't able to cut those guys when in redraft, you would have gotten frustrated. You would have gone away from the thesis. You would have felt like you had to make a move in a different direction. We could see that again with P Ryan, where he actually has a bigger impact in best ball because you can't get rid of it. And so you, as you're thinking through it for yourself, you want to continue to consider your different options. If you straightforwardly have a better person to stash on your bench than Samaj P Ryan, do that. 
at the same time, don't believe that because it hasn't mattered in the first 10 weeks that it won't matter. Because if you go away from him to someone who can't actually make a difference for you and Mixon goes down, which the tricky part of this emotionally and just kind of working through it too, is that you don't want to ever put yourself in a situation where you feel like on Sundays that you're rooting for guys to get hurt. I mean, that's, that's not the way to do it. But if you can kind of partition that and think about it purely again, probabilistically, as you say, and think of what can help you the most, knowing that you can't control the injuries that's going to happen regardless of anything you're doing, then, I mean, P. Ryan's upside, as you explained, is just extreme. You you have to have that unless the other things that you need for your team to make it across to that point just simply trump having him on the roster. And I always love to give the, the past examples. When you were talking about P. Ryan, it made me think of Rashad Penny at this time last year, where the feeling on him was, we did this in 2020. We did this in 2019. How many times have we tried to stash Rashad Penny? He's never actually going to hit. He doesn't actually hit. That was the conversation at this time last year. Rashad Penny, too fragile, will never actually have a stretch of production where he can stay healthy and 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 rattle off good production, all of those things. Anyone who stashed him is very excited about that. Obviously, he ended up having an incredibly strong late season run, did stay healthy for a long enough time. Obviously, really unfortunate to see him get hurt again this year. But again, it's this probabilistic thinking, and it's this not running into the gambler's fallacy of like, oh, it's never it's never happened. I guess that's the opposite of the gambler's fallacy where it's due. But um, I, I get that from a lot of people. It hasn't happened yet, so it can happen. The argument for PRN has not changed just like it hadn't really changed for, for Penny and eventually did hit. Sometimes it doesn't ever hit, right? But you you need to be you know analytically rigorous about whether or not it's changed. And in, in Piron's case, it has not changed the argument at all. And Sony Michelle, another guy last year that I think fits in this conversation a little bit too, where uh, it didn't feel like it was really going to hit. It ends up hitting pretty big. You mentioned stashes that might be better than Piron. You had a list of these big names I want to just run them off real quick because I'm kind of trying to cover without spending too much time on this show, the names that we aren't going to spend a ton of time on, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I mentioned at the top, this is a difficult conversation to have. You have a list of big names, James Cook, James Robinson, J.K. Dobbins, Antonio Gibson, Elijah Mitchell, Tyler Algier, all interesting names, probably rostered in a lot of leagues. Dobbins is one I see still floating out there in a lot of places that people have given up on because of the injury. Cook is one that we were able to add in some high stake stuff just as recently as last week. And people may have given up on after Devin Singletary having another big game snap wise and usage wise last week. A couple other names not mentioned here that we are kind of considering above the Pirine area area are like Jalen Warren, Rashad White. I mean, like he's already working into potentially being the starter. I assume outside of very, very shallow leagues that Rashad White's already rostered everywhere. But we still want to mention sort of who is ahead of who. Are any of those big names guys that you want to discuss a little bit in terms of maybe being dynasty trade acquisitions for the stretch run or, or what might go positively for them? Well, I think that James Robinson is an interesting guy to track because if that knee can hold up, the Jets did look in their most recent game. Obviously, they're coming off of a bye, but they did look more competent offensively. If Wilson takes a little bit of a step forward, he obviously has an elite young rookie receiver who can keep defenses a little bit more honest. And you have Michael Carter, who is a fantastic player 
but unfortunately does have that kind of profile where you can get a little bit pigeonholed. But this is also where there could be plenty of standalone value for both guys in that week eight, nine period. Robinson only plays 31% of the snaps, but despite that ends up with only six fewer opportunities than Carter. The other thing is if Carter gets dinged up, Robinson is a guy who, despite being a bigger back, can catch the ball. So you're talking about a potential three down workload on a team that wants to run the ball. Now I prefer to have that on a team that is also more dynamic, but if you have a three down guy on a team that is playing good defense, maybe he's going to have a decent number of leads despite a tough schedule to go down the stretch and you can do everything. I mean, Robinson is a big talent. Anytime that he's healthy, I mean, he's a big time guy. And so again, we expect him to be rostered everywhere, but there might be some different things that you can do to get him in your league i think that gibson and mitchell are also fairly interesting because there are ways for them to not just be good and they have that standalone value already but to be stars mitchell's a straightforward gibson a player who you know really has had these big swings in terms of how the fantasy community sees him but the absence of mckissick has allowed him to emerge a little bit again as a receiver i think you have to like this offense a lot more with heineke even though you know we kind of joked about him a couple of weeks ago, you were giving me a hard time for just liking him at all. But Gibson's someone who could actually push both of the guys to the side, a little bit like we saw from Leonard Fournette. Now, they like Robinson so much that I think that won't happen unless Robinson gets a little bit of a ding. But I mean, Gibson, despite not having actually great peripherals as a runner this year, he's a dynamic, athletic player for a team that needs some playmakers possibility to get him in space and actually have a couple of games where you know you get a score you catch some passes i think that the overall upside for him right now is above where most people have him so that makes him an interesting player you talked about huntley i think that algier is still interesting from the perspective that patterson it seems like isn't 100 percent. you would think that maybe there is elevated re-injury possibility or just injury possibility in general above a lot of the backs. This offense actually not good, despite being run heavy, not great for backs, as you explained. And yet, if there is a guy on that roster who pushes everyone else to the side and then does bring a little bit receiving, the problem here is that the fact that they don't pass the ball at all does trickle down to their backs as well. So you're getting basically no receiving EP from these guys. So you have to go score a touchdown or else you don't score any points. But is Algier the talent where if they got a little bit more from London, got a little bit more from Pitts, actually played to win down the stretch as opposed to played to kill the games, that Algier couldn't be a rising rookie who next year we look at as being kind of a, a Rashad Penny-ish type of player. I mean, that's obviously the the ceiling case. That's the, the really enthusiastic case. But when you're thinking through, like, who could emerge, I think that Algier has a little bit of that. Now, below some of the other players we're talking about, kind of in between these tiers that we're looking at. But when you talk about having some standalone value and then having this scenario that he's not going to hit, but this tiny little scenario where he really goes off, I think that he's interesting from that perspective. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, I, I always think back to high value touches personally, I, I would be concerned about the receiving there, even though he has been the one that runs a lot more routes than Huntley. And if Patterson is limited, you would assume Algier would be the one running the routes. It's a concern for me with Robinson as well, because I think the Jets are playing pretty good defense and probably going to be a low-volume passing offense for the for the majority of the rest of the season. 
Tristan Ebner was a name that got brought up a lot in the deeper leagues this week on the waiver wire because uh, Khalil Herbert went to IR behind David Montgomery. Ebner's a rookie, has some positive stuff in his profile, but similar concern for me. Is there enough passing volume? Would he just need to be really efficient as a runner? Now, both Montgomery and Herbert have been efficient runners, so maybe that's possible. Those ones are tougher for me based on what their full workload could be. But that brings us to some of the stashes that are maybe in more interesting offenses. And I, I'm i thinking them of these guys, this next segment, as the players that are pretty widely available in most leagues and have the potential to be everything that we've talked about, right? And so like these would be the main core of this discussion for me. So as we get into this, it'll be our win bet segment of the week. Make sure you sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet $100, win $100, download the win bet app now, or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And Sean, we, you mentioned Ronald Jones early. We always keep going back to that. It's almost a bit now. I do think when you look at this analytically, the Chiefs have not had answers at running back all year. The reality of their backfield is CH hasn't been the answer. They've now, but they, but like they didn't think Pacheco was really the answer enough to really move him up. They've now gone there to where he had 56% of the snaps last week. That was a big positive for Pacheco's role and sort of future outlook that he took over the majority of the backfield as this rookie going into the second half of the season. Very, plenty of reason for optimism on him right now. But if he doesn't get the job done, or, as we said, if you get the unfortunate injury there, there's definitely room in this unsettled backfield where, uh, as you brought you mentioned as when we brought up Rojo, it, there has to sort of be an injury somewhere. None of these guys have been inactive yet, and so Rojo has not been active. And it's one of these ones that been saying the same thing all year and it's not happened. It doesn't mean it can't happen. If somebody misses time, whether it's McKinnon or anyone, it seems likely that Rojo would be activated. And as you said, if he gets a couple carries and he looks good, my argument would be that if he gets a couple carries and looks good, this backfield has been so unsettled that he could be ridden at that point as the hot hand still. There's nothing that's happened in this backfield to date that suggests he wouldn't have the potential to take it and run with it. If he's clearly playing better than everyone else, he would have to come out playing very, very well. But we have seen in Rojo's career him run very physically, very effectively in a way that might make him look. Now, he could have some bad drops. He could have some fumbles. Those issues have cropped up in his past before. He can miss some pass blocks. There's all sorts of things that Rojo can do to get benched. We're well aware of all of those. But the situation in Kansas City is so unsettled at running back and has been all year that it continues to be this breeding ground in an offense that, yes, he might not catch a ton of passes, as I was just talking about, but will score a ton of points. So if you do just get the goal line roll, the, the the paths to multiple touchdowns are so much greater as well, right, in, in the Kansas City offense. Yeah, I mean, this offense is so dynamic that you have someone in Clyde Edwards-Alaire who has been benched at this point, right, where he was an RB1 through – the first five weeks of the season scoring over 16 points per game the running backs in this offense who find the field are going to stumble into points <laughs> you can't help but score here and edwards lair has scored even in games where he's hardly played and so you think about how can a guy 
help you? And what are the scenarios? The thing that's so great with the Chiefs is that if you can get on the field, the floor scenario then is workable, is startable. The ceiling scenario, again, is like the Rashad Penny one from last season. And the similarities go beyond that. And that with Penny, it's this idea of can he stay healthy and where was the offense dynamic enough for him to overcome some of the issues? Well, obviously he was that good and more with Ronald Jones. I mean, he's got a guy with multiple 1,000 yard scrimmage seasons. There's not the question of can he play at all? He's also someone who came in as a plus athlete. The question is, I mean, is he still that level of athlete now that he's four or five years into his career, even as still a younger guy? We know that athleticism can disappear very quickly for backs. And it's just so weird that he's not playing ahead of the players who were there. But the flip side of that is that he's asked for his release and they have refused to cut him. And Andy Reid has said, I understand why he's frustrated. That's very justified. I mean, you want guys to play, but we still think he can help us. So we're not going to cut him. And if the coach comes out and says that, as opposed to doing what the Arizona Cardinals did to Eno, then that's important information for you. you. You just can't afford not to have exposure to players in this Kansas City Chiefs offense, especially someone who has 60, 70 yard touchdown run ability, because that balances out a little bit of the fact that he's probably not going to catch a lot of passes. But even then, if you can just throw him a little swing pass, get him out on the edge, he doesn't have to be a great receiver. He doesn't have to do the things in this offense that he would have had to do to be kind of that Leonard Fournette role in the Buccaneers offense. If they want to get him out on the edge and they're going to scheme a little play for him, you can do it and he can take it 40 yards. Yeah. He's so just being on the field, we'll do it. I mean, yeah. that's that's what you're looking for there. The upside for him, again, is just so extreme. The, the Bengals and the Chiefs, those are the two offenses where – the running back upside is just so through the roof that anything you can do to have exposure, you have to do, even though it seems silly, because if somehow all these guys stay healthy, or if Pacheco goes off for 200 yards next week, then people are like, I mean, these guys don't learn the lesson. I mean, what's the definition of insanity? It's like, yeah, that or it's cutting players that you wish you had in weeks 15, 16, and 17. And, and you know, Benjamin, you bring up is uh... – Interesting for a few reasons in this discussion that don't really necessarily relate to him. He now goes to an offense that's a tough offense, a tough sell, but the Chiefs claimed him. And we talked about how if they would have claimed him, then Rojo maybe would have finally gotten that release. The fact that the Chiefs claimed him also speaks to their lack of comfortability in even Pacheco, right? Like in what they have, they haven't activated Ron Jones yet. Maybe they feel like Eno would have been a clearer activation over ceh to fill that role and rojo's not the right guy to fill that role who knows how they you know view this i would that would be sort of my read that that rojo's sort of behind pacheco on a, a separate pecking order than how they view ceh but the way that they've completely minimized ceh does i think make it possible that he himself gets deactivated for rojo but the fact that they went and claimed you know speaks to everything we're saying about it not being very settled in their top three right now you mentioned well, the Jared Bengals. McKinnon is also not healthy. And even though he's playing, he's not healthy. You mentioned that they're kind of parallel paths, but you're also talking about total number of bodies who are going to be active at that position any given week. I mean, mostly what we're looking for here are a couple of plays for Ronald Jones where he can break something and catch everybody's attention because practice and the game, and they're going to be different things. And that's even more the case for certain individuals. I'm not saying that Ronald Jones is Allen Iverson, but I mean, you want to see him in a game. We're talking about practice. Um, set aside the Bengals and the Chiefs that you mentioned are great 
offenses from running back production. There are other offenses. The Chargers are right on top of that list. Austin Eckler, we talked about in the last show, leading the league in running back touchdowns, leading the league in running back receptions, high-value touches through the roof in this offense. A guy that we both had on our list, Isaiah Spiller. The Cardinals, we've talked about many times, have had the ability to create running back points for a lot of different names over the last few years in the Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray era. Now that Eno Benjamin is gone, Keontae Ingram became a very popular ad this week. And then another name that we both have on our list in this section is Justin Jackson. The, the Lions have generated a lot of points. I'm concerned about DeAndre Swift getting shut down. This is not a team going anywhere. He has multiple injuries that could be re-aggravated at different areas of his body. They have already, when bringing him back, hesitated to give him a full workload because they're not confident in his health. This past week, he ran 30% of the routes, uh, a route on 30% of the dropbacks, and Justin Jackson ran 33%. And again, I'm talking about these, like, what types of backs are backing up, which types of backs. I think the Lions see the Jamal Williams, Craig Reynolds role in their in their offense as different than the DeAndre Swift, Justin Jackson role, and that there are paths for Justin Jackson if Swift were to get shut down. And this one feels like a fairly clean path to be running a lot of routes, you might, for a real ceiling, also need Jamal Williams to go down. But it's funny because Justin Jackson, the guy we mentioned, now multiple seasons has been this player. His rookie season way back in, when I talked about when Melvin Gordon was still there, last year again had a playoff start that went really well for fantasy managers. I don't think that's out of the question for 2022 to be the third season where Justin Jackson has a 15-18 point game in the fantasy playoffs. No, not not hard to imagine there at all. He's really at that perfect intersection of a way an offense plays and potential opportunity because you already have the one player more or less injured, as you mentioned. We hope the Swift doesn't get shut down for the teams who have the potential to really benefit from him taking a jump in snaps. He is one of our favorite guys, and he's just such an electric playmaker. But you can understand why the Lions would do that. The Chargers... Another very interesting one there. It's a big red flag, obviously, that Isaiah Spiller was a huge faller during the draft process, was having trouble showing off anything like NFL athleticism. And then that's compounded by the team that actually did want him <laughs> and selected him in the draft, then seemed very disenchanted with how he played early on. And he's there behind someone like Sony Michelle, who uh, the reason that Spiller is, is getting chances now is that Michelle just seems so completely and totally washed up but yet we do see players like this emerge and just take a little bit longer not everybody comes on the exact same schedule all you have to do to get a little bit of a sense of that is to think about these last two weeks for christian watson different team different position different red flags but you know five touchdowns in two games after he's looking to an extent already like a bust through the first half of his rookie year isaiah spiller somebody who had a thousand yards from scrimmage and 20 receptions in all three years of his collegiate career. He's above 5.5 yards per carry for that time period. So even if he is not a star, the fact that you have a big body back with flexibility in an offense where Eckler currently leads in terms of total EP at the running back position. Now, is he going to replace all of that if Eckler should go out? Obviously not. And yet, is this offense going to completely go away if Eckler is gone? This has Justin Herbert, right? This team is going to attack. He made some cool plays last week, even in the loss. They're going to get some of these receivers back to where how teams play them completely shifts. 
So I mean, you think about, again, weeks 15, 16, 17, if Eckler were to be out and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are in, suddenly probably pretty fertile ground for whoever the backup running back is at that point to score. Spiller brings that flexibility and upside to you. And I think that Keontae Ingram is very, very similar. A big back who caught a lot of passes in college and now playing for the Arizona Cardinals, a team that has been in such disarray in the first half that we didn't see the types of things from them that we saw in 2020 and 2021. But James Conner's performance just last week, as you see them start to kind of go in the right direction, even though Kyler Murray's not there, his performance reminds you what the Cardinals do, which is to create a lot of touches down at the one and two yard line that they give to the back. Connor, not a guy who tends to stay healthy. We hope that he does. But if you see Keontae Ingram playing and getting a lot of carries inside the five in a high-powered Cardinals offense that also features Marquise Brown over the second half of that season, that's not going to surprise anybody. As you were talking about Keontae Ingram, for whatever reason, it made me think of Keyshawn Vaughn. But And also because we're talking about these offenses, the Bucs are another offense that I expect will generate plenty of high-value touches, plenty of running back points. Fournette, seemingly pretty healthy still. Rashad White taking that backfield over. Seems like those two guys are the top. But after Fournette did get banged up in Munich, Vaughn did play a little bit, and it was still in a reasonably close game at that point. Caught a pass. Uh, if for some reason White can't get the job done, I mean, this is a not ad now, but if Fournette were to actually get hurt or if something happens on the team level, I mean, he got – he got suspended while with Jacksonville for, for team stuff and, you know, locker room stuff. Not, I'm not speculating anything, but um, I, I did comment earlier this week that I, I feel like it was his camp probably that leaked the, the Schefter report that he was good to go and will be good to go in a couple of weeks. If there starts to be an issue with how much White is playing and, and Fournette starts to become a little bit of a locker room problem and they want to go forward with White, Vaughn could pretty quickly become an interesting handcuff and another offense that can generate fantasy points. That's a, a step away, I think, from being playable right now. But, Sean, there's a couple other names on your list that I didn't have on my list. But I think – well, well, one is Chuba Hubbard, who is now available in a lot of leagues again because Deontay Foreman has so clearly taken that backfield over because of Hubbard's own injury. He's an interesting one. I didn't think of him mostly because he was not deep enough, I guess, You know, right when I was looking around. But the other one is Deion Jackson, who – Got picked up in a lot of leagues a couple weeks ago, probably cut in a lot of leagues again. Jonathan Taylor comes back last week in Jeff Saturday's first game, plays 94% of the snaps, looks amazing. And yet, Naheem Hines got traded away, a lot like this Keontae Ingram discussion where you know Benjamin got traded away. And we probably have some clarity behind Jonathan Taylor now in a way that we probably didn't and also was maybe not leading to an immediate response to pick up Deontay Jack or Deion Jackson everywhere. Yeah, and you're helped out by the fact that Zach Moss is simply not good. And Deion Jackson, when you compare these two guys, you have a 218-pound back who, depending on you know whose stopwatch you're looking at, I mean, he runs somewhere between a 4.3 and, and a you know mid 4.4s in terms of the 40 at his pro day. I mean, you're talking about an elite athlete, this size-speed combination that will play at the NFL level. And... Then you put him into this offense that's going to be run heavy. And if Matt Ryan is the guy there and just can keep defenses a little bit honest, can convert a few third downs. I mean, if you go run, run, and then you need a two-yard pass from Ryan to an underneath guy like Campbell 
or to Pittman, you can now see a, a feasible path where once they went to the backup QB, you're like, nobody is playable here. Now it actually looks like a, a pretty decent situation for the back. And there's that little bit of an element where Taylor is much more likely to be injured now since his ankle is not going to be in that same level of health that it would be unscathed. So you, you have that possibility as well. There are other players I would prefer, but you definitely have to keep him on your radar. Sometimes when a play works and then the thesis disappears in the short term, it's easy to think, okay, well, that was the opportunity for this season. Now that's done. we got to go to the next thing when very easy to go back and have him do it a couple more times at key moments. Absolutely. So that was sort of our list of the more high priority stashes. I know people always want us to rank them. I mean, it changes every week <laughs> and it changes almost every day. It depends who's available in your league, obviously. Hopefully you got a good idea of what we're, we're thinking there, but the reality is like they're very similar bets on like really tailored outcomes. It's not the, I always have a hard time ranking them. I don't know, Sean, if you want to sit here and rank them, but I always have a hard time with it. Cause I feel like, we're talking about like fractions of a percentage that I would be probably putting too much confidence in my own analysis to sit and rank specifically those names. When there are clear ranks, I tend to say that. I mentioned last year, I thought that Justin Jackson was the clearest one to, to grab. I don't think it's clear among any of those names. It's kind of like pick your favorite. Do you have any in, in that group that are clear favorites to you that you want to try to get everywhere? I think it just depends so much on your specific situation because for the individual fantasy manager, a little bit of standalone value can be key for certain rosters. And then on others, you don't need that standalone value at all. As you listen to us talk through what we would need to see and why we would be on certain guys, I think that gives you a feel for your own way that you like to play and your own evaluation of the players. Now, for some of these players, you may not have a, a personal evaluation uh, but you can tell whether or not you like the idea of a rojo play you know whether or not you think the arizona cardinals offense is going to be the one that creates a ton of running back value over the second half of the season you have your personal comfort level with the matt ryan and jeff saturday led indianapolis colts team and then the style of the back behind him do you want the person to be a little bit more proven but maybe plotting do you want to go for the athleticism there do you want to go for the lower percentage bet because your rb1 and rb2 are pretty locked in how you rank them is going to be be very personal and going to relate to the team needs and then that's also the case for just a few of these deep 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 names to kind of keep an eye on who obviously are not going to hit yeah, none of them are going to hit, but we have a couple more deep names in the Pierre Strong, Ty Chandler bowl, which we jumped right into because I let us down that path. We both had uh, Hassan Haskins as a name. I, I put a little question mark next to him because of Dontrell Hilliard. And Hilliard catches another TD pass last night on Thursday Night Football. We didn't really recap that for this week's show, but um, has been playing a lot on passing downs. I think would be pretty involved. Haskins probably would be as well. My concern is Haskins would be the Caleb Huntley to, to steal from that earlier analogy that is only getting rushing work and mostly low value rushing work. And Hilliard is a guy they maybe use in the red zone and on the passing downs and Hilliard would be the one I'd prefer. Sean, we both have Travis Homer on our list because now you got Rashad Penny out. 
What does Seattle do if something happens to Ken Walker? That's a situation where we haven't talked a lot about the handcuffs. The other guy that I want to mention that you don't have, and you have a couple that I don't have that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, is Jermichael Hasty. I think he's rostered in a decent number of leagues after the James Robinson trade. Another situation this year where the kind of the number two got traded away and opened up the handcuff situation. But behind Travis Etienne in Jacksonville, Hasty has played a little bit. He has a pass catching background from his time in San Francisco. He was sort of their high value touch guy for a brief stint when healthy in some of their shuffled backfields, like early last year when Elijah Mitchell was just getting his footing and Jeff Wilson was there. They would play hasty on passing downs and a little bit in the red zone. He's got some size. I don't think Jacksonville's offense is great. I also don't think it's as bad as some of the other offenses for potential running back production that we're talking about. It'd be somewhere in the middle of the road in my mind. ETN has added a lot to what is available there by being ETN. I don't think Hasty can play to that level necessarily, but it could be like a Deontay Foreman. He's probably not as good as Deontay Foreman, but it could be a in the mold of surprisingly productive because the offense is still kind of okay, uh, where he's kind of working off of the passing game building a little bit or something, right? Like, but the idea would be Hasty is is the profile that could catch five passes in some games, also has enough size to score a touchdown and close if something were to happen to ETN. So he's one that uh, I kind of like as well. Hasty is is tricky for me. I do actually have him in a few places, and yet the k- things you described about the Jacksonville offense, I would expect that this becomes sort of a quagmire if you lose ETN. It's not necessarily an, op- an offense that I'm going after, although as you explain it, obviously the patch catching, catching element, anytime that you have that, the player can generate some points, and those points... I mean, we all have had teams where you score 200 in a week and you got a zero from somebody. Those are few and far between, but they happen. If they happen for you in your fantasy finals or they happen to you as you're trying to win a tournament and you can even add an extra seven points on. I mean, you never know when those extra points will be the difference. Maybe it's an 89-88 final. You never, just never know how those points will help you. It's better to get seven or eight than take that zero. You mentioned Homer. He's interesting because, as you said, we don't really know. They have Homer, who's a little bit more the pass-catching and electric back, the smaller back, and then DJ Dallas, the bigger back there. I think that Homer would have a shot to take over a bigger role. He was the guy who was ahead of Dallas early on in the season, and this is a guy who is a big-time, big-time athlete, right? Sub-4, 5, 40, 39.5-inch vertical a couple of 1,000-yard scrimmage seasons in college, over six yards per carry. And we're talking about those types of results because he hasn't had a chance to play a ton, obviously, at the NFL level. And I think that when you can kind of round out your understanding of what the back is from a profile and from an athleticism perspective, it helps think through that a little bit. My bet would be on the guy who brings that athletic juice. And then, again, you're going to get a few of the high-value touches on that receiving side, even though – probably the Seahawks offense is not going to be great for pass catchers any way you look at it. It becomes a situation here with what Walker did last week as a receiver. He was a a feature of one of our earlier shows that Homer becomes more of a pure stash as opposed to a standalone because Walker has been so active now in the receiving game. I like Matt Breida. I don't have a lot of him. (laughs) Was was that a question or a statement? I like Matt Breida. (laughs) 
you kind of have to remind yourself sometimes that the guy is, is still there. So I was watching this Giants game, and you have to really focus to watch a Giants game, especially last week. It was so boring. They have all of those rush attempts for Saquon Barkley, and it's a little bit of a reminder that Brita is going to be very active if Barkley goes down. He's not going to do what Barkley did. He can't hold up to anything like that. You think back three or four years to kind of where he was and where Austin Eckler was. They were both fixtures on the zero RB lists. And obviously Eckler, the guy who emerges as a star, Breed is someone who just can't stay healthy, not nearly as thick as Eckler there. But you look at the season, 20% of the snaps for him, no other backs even at 5%. I mean, he's very clearly the guy. And again, he brings that potential big play ability, a little bit of receiving ability. So I think that is interesting when they don't have a lot to go behind him. And then Malik Davis, right? We have a situation there with the Cowboys where, again, you're saying, okay, it's going to take multiple injuries here. But with Elliott already being borderline hurt slash washed up, it's almost a case where you're looking at Tony Pollard and you're saying, man, it would be just a terrible story if he finally is in a situation where he can be you know, more or less the next Eckler almost, where he's blowing up with a former star in the backfield with him. He looks like he could be just a star, right? I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, he could be one of the best running backs in the entire NFL. If he goes down, that would be a bummer. And yet it would open up a situation here where Davis, who has touched the ball a little bit as a change of pace with Elliott out, another guy who probably brings some pretty serious athleticism again a 39 and a half inch vertical i mean those guys can absolutely fly right catches 54 passes his last two years at florida i mean not a big time prospect not somebody who's going to take a huge amount of the work but when you're talking about niche players or specific role players i would want them to be in an offense like the dallas cowboys as opposed to an offense where those same number of touches are going to be worth a lot less in most outcomes. This is so deep that you are M Davis. I'm glad you introduced it because I thought this was a Mike Davis point. I, I I didn't know what you were on today, but I was like, why are you so high on Mike Davis? But Malik Davis, that makes more sense. A lot of running backs, and in a lot of leagues, the vast majority of these guys are gone. I mean, in the really deep leagues, the high stakes stuff. But that's why we kind of wanted to dig into it. We are finding ourselves scouring the waiver, waiver wire. And, I mean, I know I'm finding myself saying, trying to find guys that are available in a lot of spots and telling my, being able to tell myself a story. Because it's hard to find the guys that we can tell ourselves a story on. But saying, you know, Justin Jackson, he could do it again this year. You know, t- telling myself um, about some of these really deep options. That's where the Travis Homer stuff comes in. That's where the... Ty Chandler and Pierre Strong and even Rojo stuff comes in. I think the biggest lesson is to not try to predict too much what you think is most likely to happen because we know everything is chaos and some of the biggest hits are the ones that have come from out of absolutely nowhere. They were third on their death chart. Two injuries occurred. Something crazy happened. I've talked about the expected value equation before. It's basically a combination of the probability an event will happen and what the payoff is of that event. In this situation, it depends on your team a little bit, Sean, because you talked about like sometimes you need 
some standalone value. Sometimes you have the clear top two guys. I thought that whole segment when you mentioned that was incredibly well said. If you have two stud running backs, if you're in a league where you've built that, you can take more of a risk of the really low probability outcome happening that does have, we think, a lot of payoff if it does hit and then maybe fit, fits into your flex discussion or you know, if one of your two studs gets banged up and isn't clear if he's going to play enough snaps, you have a guy that has a real ceiling that you're like, oh, I'm comfortable playing him over him. Sort of like where DeAndre Swift's at right now. Is there, you know, a player that has enough ceiling that you would be comfortable starting him over where DeAndre Swift's at right now? Because a lot of the other guys that have some standalone value, you're not starting over DeAndre Swift right now, right? Like you just wouldn't do that. So depending on where your roster's at, it's going to really impact where you fall on that. But the two sides of that EV equation, the probability of it happening, I spend a lot less time on with these types of decisions. The potential payoff side of that equation, a lot more. Because the probability of any of these guys being relevant is incredibly low. We're talking about fractions of a percent, and it's very hard to predict anyway. The things that we think we know about the players ahead of them, and whether they're good enough or whatever. Again, tough to, tough to predict. And then the other part of it is the reality that it's probably injury that opens this up and the injuries are incredibly hard to predict. But the size of the payoff is the size of it, is a side of it that I think gets forgotten about way too much. That's how you convince yourself that even though a guy is third or fourth on his depth chart, he's worth taking a shot on and then have that hit. And again, I, I speak from experience on this. It took me time, but having had that ha happen favorably for me before, I buy into that more now and i mean again it's not to brag it's to reflect back on that if you haven't had that hit yet where you bought into like i mentioned jeff wilson from two years ago it's harder to trust that you're doing something that makes any sense at all right but uh rojo is probably the poster boy for this whole thing i mean i'm not saying go out and add him everywhere but if you're in a situation where you're like is he even worth rostering but you don't really have any other options. Like the size of the hit is still there. And we just talked about it. We both believe that it probably isn't going to hit. We're talking about a 1% outcome where he even, you know, gets anywhere near this happening, but the payoff is enough that I do think it justifies it. And that's the side you need to focus on. You might feel crazy adding him to a roster. It would have to be a deeper league. That type of a player is worth adding. And we do know that somebody is going to hit in a big way down the stretch going to change the landscape of 2022 and make this fantasy season his own. That's why you see all the headlines all the time about league winners and tournament winners. Those guys do matter and you have to continually look for them, sift through all of the sand, try and find that gold. As we get down the stretch, this process doesn't end after your draft. It doesn't end once you get into the mid middle of the season and the waiver wire has been thin for a couple of weeks, it's specifically during some of the thin weeks for the waiver wire that you can do your best work in terms of reshaping your roster with end of the roster players that many other fantasy managers are not looking at. But this has been a lot of fun for me. Hopefully it was a good listen for the Stealing Bananas community. We didn't get to our normal Friday content where we talk about the Thursday night game. We did have a fun Packers-Titans contest last night. Christian Watson, two more touchdowns, four for 48 receiving line. My whole 
soliloquy earlier in the week about how he was too touchdown dependent. Pretty much willed that stat line into existence. He's just going to keep scoring multiple touchdowns every game the rest of the year. Willed it into existence slash the freak score will find you touchdowns. As I mentioned a couple times, Matt Spencer did a deep dive into that last year and discovered that the fantasy douches freak score metric still finding those touchdowns seven years removed. We have some more here. Ben, I mean, we're not going to go into this, but I did think that your notes also, you could see those last night. There was a situation where the Packers tried to get the ball manufactured, touched to Watson down there inside the 20, and he doesn't run the right quite right and then also doesn't catch the ball. Both issues that he still has. He also has another potential long catch where he does the same thing he did last week, stops running in the middle, and the pass would have been perfect. It's not quite there. You have to kind of wonder if that was the reason that Aaron Rodgers didn't pull the trigger on their last key drive, gets himself sacked instead. The commentators talk about nobody open. And I'm looking there and like, yeah, I mean, they've got a safety over the top of Christian Watson. That dude is so fast that he ate up. I mean, the corner has to pass him off immediately. And then he eats up the safety instantly. If Aaron Rodgers pulls the trigger on that one, maybe you're looking at a 60 yard touchdown. Strengths and weaknesses there, but very fun. Obviously, Traylon Burks, the guy we've been waiting for, has a big game, multiple long catches. Great to see him get involved early, and also cool to see him get involved at the very end. The Titans obviously think that he can be the guy for them. He looked like that guy last night, and as I was watching this game, I was thinking it was so lucky for the Chiefs and so unfortunate for the Titans that Casey is able to dig out that game where the Titans have to start Malik Willis against them because it now looks like the Titans and not the Bills or just obviously both of those teams very much factor into the race for the number one seed in the AFC. Obviously Chiefs with the tiebreaker over the Titans don't have the tiebreaker over the Bills. A lot of great games coming up this weekend. You will have your end of the week input volatility article on ceiling signals make sure everybody checks that out dave caven has his wide receiver cornerback matchup article on rotaviz and a lot of these friday shows i've shared bits and pieces from the passing matchup raider or the advanced team stat tool you can find those things over at the site as you get ready for your dfs or to set your lineups we'll have so much more for you again next week but this has been ceiling bananas i'm sean siegel with me as always is ben gretch you can follow at yards per gretch Sign up for Stealing Signals, sign up for Stealing Lines. I do want to mention again that the NBA product launched this week, and we're all excited about that. Basketball is back. I'm a college basketball guy. I grew up in Kansas City just down the road from Lawrence, so the big sports event for this week for me was KU coming back at the end of defeating Duke in the Champions Classic. Get some college basketball going, but I know we've got a lot of NBA fans Check out Stealing Lines. You'll want to be a part of that. Join us at Rotoviz. Coupon code RV Radio 2022 10% discount on your subscription. Ben, we're hoping to do some shows earlier in the week over the next month. Probably won't be every week. It'll depend a little bit on schedule and how our writing on Monday goes. It's a big day for us. But to get those episodes when they drop, if you subscribe to the feed, you'll be all set. Leave us a rating and review. Drop us a comment on YouTube. Good luck, everybody, in week 11. We have a lot of players on the bye, but that's why you build a deep roster. If you can get a big score this week, it'll help you out in a huge way. We're rooting for you. Talk to you guys soon.
worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.